Should I sing false? Or, or what, what's the guy from the, the uh, Dr. Pepper? It's the sweet one. <laughs> it's gross. It's hilarious. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all. Wonderful to be in his presence. And I know that we have some wonderful things in store for us because we're here and the Holy Spirit is here. Amen. And where any two or three are gathered, hallelujah, we believe for good, good things. Amen. And uh, I, I don't, I believe I do not have any real special announcements other than just prepare for next week and also for deacons, quick meeting. We'll meet in the uh, library together very quickly after church just to go over uh, some final work for next week. So praise the Lord. How many are glad that Jesus is our Lord this morning? Oh boy, I know him. I am so happy. I am so happy. Why don't we stand together in his presence? Father, we just thank you so much that as we're going to hear a little bit later, the worship team sing in your presence, in your presence. And Father, that's where we want to be this morning. We want to be in your presence and we want your presence to be in us. And so we open ourselves to you this morning, just as we shared last Sunday about being sincere. We open all that we are, whoever we are, whatever we are, we open it all up to you and ask your Holy Spirit to shine his light on us. We want to be cleansed today. We want to be purified. We want to stand holy before you. And we know that that'll happen as we open ourselves to you. Thank you for what you're going to do as you touch us, body, soul, and spirit. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all and all cause Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed in white as snow
has died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat just the voices Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed and white as snow sin had left sin had left a crimson stain he washed and white as snow he washed me he washed me white as snow he washed me white as snow of what this all looks like and I just keep going back to the man that's on death row and he knows it's his time and then at the last moment someone comes to him and says whispers in his ear your debt's paid you can go free now 
I think that automatically I would want to know who paid my debt? Who is this man? Is he rich? Is he powerful? Does he have all authority? And I say, yes, Lord. Jesus is all those things. He has all the authority. He paid my debt and set me free. He set me free. He set me free from guilt and shame. And made me new sit next to him in heavenly places and he calls me his own he calls me his own he calls me his own and in this moment I just picture I'm sitting on his lap on the throne and I look up into his eyes as we both see all the chaos that's down in the earth and I could just look up in his eyes and know that he is so powerful that I don't even need to fear. Because he said, my child, as he looks to me in my eyes, said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a sound mind, a sound mind that thinks like mine, he says, that thinks like mine. And all I want to do in those moments when chaos is going down below us is just hold him close and hold him close and realize that he is my everything. Whom shall I fear? If he is for me, who shall be against me? I want to be close close to your side so heaven is real and death is a lie I want to hear voices and angels above singing as one hallelujah holy holy God Almighty, great I am, who is worthy, none beside thee, God Almighty, the great I am. I want to be near near to your heart loving the world and hating the dark I want to see dry bones living again singing as one
invite you during this time to come forward for prayer. Don't worry if there's nobody down here. They'll come. They'll come and pray for you if they see you coming. Do you enjoy being in the presence of Jesus? to inhabit our praises and to heal our hearts in the glory of your presence I find Church, reach out to him. He's here. And I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love. I love, I love, I 
song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my
when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Sing that one more time. I'm coming back to the heart. Just raise your hands and worship Him. It's all about Him. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We magnify your name. We magnify your name. We magnify your name. All about Jesus. I'll bring you more than song. I'll bring you more Yes, we will. Looking into my heart, you're looking into my Jesus, Jesus, heart. You're looking Jesus, into Jesus, my heart. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. wait on the spirit for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Father. How many of you right now, uh, I'm reminded as the Lord was giving that word, that many foxes, many little foxes spoil the vine. How many of you right now are dealing with little foxes of distraction? I see that. Several hands around. Vivian, yours is not a little, little distraction. Uh, we're going to get to you in a minute. But there are, there are so many small distractions that can harass us all day long. And just turn our eyes off of Jesus because it's, it's all about him. So let's, if that was you, just raise your hand one more time and let's just pray for those little distractions. Father, we just, we lift up all of our lives right now that are so full of foolish little distractions that just, the devil doesn't want to turn our eyes 180 degrees. He just wants us to turn our eyes one degree. 
One degree to the left or to the right. One tiny little look to the left. Get our eyes off of Jesus and onto circumstances. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes on you right now and fasten our gaze on you and not the distractions. We receive that for each of us in Jesus' name. But Vivian's son is now really in the Lord's hand. Is that correct? Uh, they've, they've basically said it's going to have to be a miracle <clears throat> for him to survive this cancer. That's not a little distraction. That's a big distraction. And so we just want to lift up Vivian again. I know she's been praying and people have been praying. But, Father, right now we just ask for the comfort of the Holy Spirit in Vivian's heart. We ask for healing continually, Father. We're not going to give up. While there is breath, there is still hope. We're not going to give up. So we thank you right now for continued healing in Jesus' name, and we thank you for strength and comfort. We are putting ourselves out for Vivian, whatever she may need in the days ahead, as she travels to Florida, probably to be with her son, whatever it may be. We thank you in the name of Jesus for your healing touch. We receive it right now in Jesus' name your strength, and your provision. And for all of us, we want to remember uh, the, the Moore family. My, my mother's sister uh, just lost her daughter at 61, and uh, we'll be heading out there for the funeral this week. But, Father, we lift up the Moore family. We lift up all those that are struggling right now. We know, we know that distractions come big and small, and we don't want to minimize something like this by saying it's just a distraction. But, but Father, this carnal world can draw us down so fast. We ask you to help us keep our eyes up, keep our eyes on the Lord of the harvest, keep our eyes on the strength, keep our eyes on eternity, where we will say that these present sufferings were worth nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed and we keep our eyes on you because it's all about Jesus, all about Jesus. We thank you, Father, for touching us, body, soul, and spirit. Whatever else may be needed in this sanctuary, we know you're the one that's going to provide, and we receive it, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I'm glad that Jesus is on our side. I'm glad. I am so glad that 10 billion years from now, we will look back and we will say, I guarantee you, we will say, for the glory that we have right now, I'd do it again a thousand more times. I'd do it again and again for the glory that's been revealed. So we praise him for that. God bless you. You may be seated in his presence. And it is truly all about him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Praise his name. Ushers, if you'll come. Hallelujah. And this is all about him too, right? Giving, it's all about him. Everything we do. We live, we move, we have our being in him. So it is all about him that we do this. Father, we just thank you so much. You can provide seed for the sower. You provide bread for the giver. And so, Father, we continue to sow, we continue to give, we continue to bless you. And in doing so, we know that you're going to prosper us, this assembly, so that we can continue to give. And we thank you for that. Bless both gift and giver in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you as you give and praise his name. Yuri, I guess, for whatever young folks you have, I know several had said they were going to be out of town this week, but... Uh, you may be dismissed, and those of us who remain can take your Bibles and open them to Philippians, the first chapter again. We are planted here in Philippians, and we are specifically planted in this first chapter. So next week, don't forget, uh, as in your bulletin, uh, we are finalizing the, the last uh, voting on the last bid that we'll be having here for the roof, and we are praying for no rain or very little rain. We'll, we'll pray for 
rain to fall on all the farmers and everybody that wants it, but there will be a zone around the church that we will not have any more rain. How's that? <laughs> but uh, so we'll be moving ahead, Lord willing, with the repairs to the roof and all that. Hallelujah. Amen. Philippians, the first chapter. We are in this little uh, paragraph, verses 9 through 11, and we'll just read the whole thing. This is Paul's prayer uh, for the Philippian church uh, in verse 9 of Philippians 1. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. We talked about that several weeks ago. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we delve into this topic uh, today, remember, always remember that everything that Paul is saying in these passages, when we talk about sincerity and offense and fruit and all of those things, all of these things are begin and end in love, that our love would continue to abound. And in his love, he has given us all the grace, all the mercy, all the peace that we need for this journey. And today we're going to talk about one little phrase we talked about last week about sincerity. And today we're going to talk about being in love without offense, without offense, being in love without <clears throat> offense. Uh, last week, as we, a couple of weeks, we've been talking about love abounding more and more and how much we need love for each other. We need love for our sinners uh, that are around us and that in love we are to be sincere. That is, we are laying bare everything to the light of the Holy Spirit, to the light of the Son. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just reading in First John, I believe it is, and I jotted it down. It's really wonderful. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness, then we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, even as he in the light, is in the light, two things happen. And this is what's so wonderful. Two things happen. Number one, we have fellowship one with another. And number two, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I don't know about you, but I, want to, I, I like fellowship. I'm glad we have fellowship one with another. But boy, I sure want my sins to be cleansed. And so when I'm walking in the truth, when I'm walking in sincerity before him, when I'm, when I'm in love with him and opening myself to all the love that he has for us, then that leads to sincerity and not being offended and growth. So we're going to talk today about uh, in love, we are without offense. Last week it was in love, we are sincere. In love, we are without offense. Now let me ask you a question. Good, good question for a Sunday morning group. And I want you to be brave, and I want you to raise your hand if the answer is yes, okay? Because nobody's going to say anything to you, just, but I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been offended by someone in church? Raise your hand. Okay. Second question, follow-up question, and I'm going to give you a hint. Same number of hands should be up. How many of you have ever offended someone in church? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. And you just offended the Holy Spirit, and you need to confess. <laughs> we all offend each other. Now, I don't know what Martians are like. Never met one. Maybe they don't offend people. But I know that every one of us on this earth that have ever come out of a woman's womb, I know we are offensive. We offend each other all the time. In word and deed, we, we just do it. We don't try too many times, but we, but we just do because we're human beings. We all have opinions, right? 
and our opinions many times offend. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, in a few moments. But we are to be without offense when we walk in love. But I want to break this down into two categories, and we're going to deal with inside first and then outside second. But we must never be offensive to each other. And we're going to define what offensive is, and you might be a little surprised. We are never to be offensive to each other, but we will almost always be offensive to the world. Almost always. It's almost impossible to not offend the world. So we're abounding in love. We are in we're, we're abounding in sincerity. We are now without offense, and that's going to lead to bearing, bearing fruit in our lives. So, but first, let's deal with the first concept of what uh, we must never be offensive to other. But in order to do that, we have to really understand what offense is not. When Paul is talking about offense here, he's not talking about insult, affront, rudeness. He's not talking about hurt feelings. It's not what he's talking about here. It's not talking about, you know, I'm hurt because Susie didn't like my new dress. You know, Willie didn't like the cake that I baked. He complimented somebody else's, but not mine. Or that guy in church didn't pay attention to me, and I was offended by that. That deacon walked right by me and prayed with that other person. Don't they know what I'm going through? I'm offended. For all of those things, really, to be honest with you, you just got to put your big boy pants on. And go live life. That's not what offense here is. When Paul is talking about not being offensive or being without offense, that's not what it is here. To get an idea of what what we read in Scripture and what offense truly is, uh, you have to look at several places in the New Testament. And you know some of them, some by heart. Uh, Jesus, in Luke, the 17th chapter, said uh, that it is impossible that offenses will not come. He said that. He said, it is impossible that offenses will not come. Well, I just got done telling you that we are going to offend each other. So we have to understand what that offense is. And he said, this is how strong that offense is. Woe unto anybody that offends the least of these. It would be better if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were cast into the sea. Well, if he was talking about how we hurt each other and offend each other, you realize that Mahoning River would be full of millstones. And Emmanuel Community Church would be empty, starting with the pulpit. So, so it, it is not that. So let's flip back, or, or in, your, in your online Bibles, whatever you have, get the full understanding of this. You've got to look at Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew, the 18th chapter. This is a parallel uh, section to uh, what Jesus said in Luke, but he delves into it a little bit more. Matthew, the 18th chapter, and we're going to go down, right to start right in verse 1. And, and we're going to see, number one, how offenses start. Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 1. The disciples uh, came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, is that about the dumbest question you've ever heard? You talk about an open door to offense. Who's the greatest king? Here, how about we paraphrase it this way. Who was the greatest pastor of Emmanuel Community Church? Oh, boy. Uh, who, who was the best piano player at Emmanuel Community? Was it Kathleen Verzilli or was it Pastor Ron Craig? He was a good piano player. So who was better at that? Who was the best deacon board at Emmanuel Community Church over the years, right? You can see how those questions would simply open the door to a bunch of blasphemous commu- confusion. 
A bunch of hurt feelings. We don't compare ourselves amongst ourselves, Paul says, right? We all just put our hand on the plow and keep doing what God tells us. But uh, it, it starts with, uh, the, the seed of it inside of us starts with a really stupid thing. It starts by us looking at each other. Oh, that's the biggest mistake you could do as a believer is look with your eyes. <laughs> Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I don't, I don't judge anyone on external appearance anymore. I only look on the inside. And then he went on to say, all I want to know about you is Jesus. That's all I want to know. I just want to know Jesus in you. That's all. I don't care what your favorite sports team is. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care what political party you're part of. I just want to know Jesus inside of you. Let's talk about Jesus. Can you imagine how much, uh, uh, how much we would save in our lives if all we would do when we got together is just talk about Jesus? Okay, that went over like a lead balloon. Okay. <laughs> but the key uh, comes a little bit in the next few verses. In Matthew 18th chapter, verse 2. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of him, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who receives one little child in my name receives me. Then he says this, But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin... Uh, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offensive must come, but woe to the man who brings him. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, if it offends you, cut it off. So he's saying, here's how important it is to not offend. If your eye is offending, if your ear is offending, if your hand is offending, cut them all off. It'd be better to go into heaven maimed than to do this. So you say, okay, so wait a minute then. So that, 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 that doesn't really make sense to me because, wow, that means that every time that I criticize somebody and I offend them, that I have to cut my hand off? How many know no one would be holding a microphone right now? Well, the key here is the Greek word that is used in this passage and in other passages. And you remember, I always tell you, I only give you the Greek word when you know what it is. The Greek word for offense here is scandalos from which we get our English word, scandalize. We do not scandalize one another. We must never scandalize one another. You say, what does that word mean? It literally means to set a snare or to bait a trap in order to destroy. We must never set snares to trigger sin in a brother or sister. We never bait a hook to kill a brother or sister. If you're doing that, then you really need to repent because you might not have even been born again. So he's not talking about the normal things. It's okay to not like the color of the carpet. It's okay to not like the praise songs. It's okay to be offended by my tie. Somebody asked me last week, Pastor, do you always want to wear a tie? I said, I actually could, I would love to dress in a suit every day of the week. I just, I love dressing like that. But I said, no, sometimes I don't, but I'd like to. But I, I hope you're not offended. Oh, no, I'm just wondering. It's like the little lady that when the evangelist was preaching and, and he had a, a loud tie on and she came up to him after church and said, brother, I don't like that tie. And so he said, come with me, sister. He went to the office, took a scissors and cut the tie off. Then he said, sister, I don't like your tongue. <laughs> it's okay. 
It's okay. I, I was going to say it's okay to offend people. No, we don't want to offend people. We try not to. But it's, it's life. We will all offend one another. I will offend you. You will offend me. We will all do it. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about baiting and trapping and destroying. If that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to live your Christian walk, then you better cut your hands off, gouge your eyes out, cut your ears off, because you're killing people. That's not what we're talking about. In love, we are being without offense. That means I will never set a trap knowingly to destroy you. I will never bait you to lead you into temptation. I will never lure you knowingly into disobedience. I will never deceive you with the intent to harm you. That's not what we do as believers. But I will tick you off every now and then. (laughs) You can say amen, that's all right. We, we will occasionally offend one another. It's just the way we are. We're human beings. And when we offend one another, I believe the, the, the first recourse, when someone offends you in that little natural, norm, normal kind of way, the first thing you need to do is you need to go like this. You need to take your eyeballs, and you need to take them off that person, and you need to put them on Jesus. Say, that's it. I, 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 don't, I don't know what you just said. I don't really care. I'm looking at Jesus now. Very, very easy to us to offend. But that's not. So we will, we will not be offensive in the body of Christ because we are not out to destroy one another. We're out to build one another up. And when I make a mistake and I think I'm building you up and I'm not, maybe when I say a wrong word or something, you know what we do as brothers and sisters? You come to the person and talk to them. Isn't that a novel idea? You don't go on Facebook first. <laughs> I'm giving you something new this morning, right? Really? <laughs> you go to the person, you pick up the phone, you talk to them, you say, you know what? I was sort of offended by something. You say, oh, well, let's talk about it. Let's prep. I'm sorry. And then guess what happens when the apology comes? Everything after that, it's all done, right? That's a whole other sermon. Okay. So we, we don't, we don't. Are not offensive, but but let's talk about the other side of this coin and the, in the world because Jesus said offenses are going to come in the world. There are going to be people out there that are going to try to kill you. Jesus said in Matthew ten, "You will be hated by all men for my name's sake." You will Matthew twenty four. You will be hated by all nations. John fifteen. The world hates you, and know that it hated me first. John 17, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because I gave you the word, gave them the word. Blessed is he, Jesus said, who is not offended by me. Wait, 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 what? How could Jesus be offensive? Well, I am just so offended that you healed me of leprosy. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Jesus, but you raised my dead daughter, and I am so offended. Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, but you healed my son, so I'm, I'm offended. I don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. How could Jesus be offensive? But he offended a lot of people. So much so that he was all alone on the cross. Even his disciples were offended. The only, only ones left were Martha, Jesus, and his brother, right? That was about it. Offended. Wow, why, why? Okay, we're going to go to a weird place to understand how we are offensive as believers. I'm going to go to a gentleman named Lot. 
lot. And you could read all of this in the 19th chapter of Genesis. It's a fascinating story from when he left Abraham all the way to when he uh, ended up uh, at the end uh, in Zoar and, and in the mountain. But Second Peter, the second chapter, says something interesting. Peter, three times, three times in that verse, in Second in Peter 2, he says, God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul every day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Three times he called Lot righteous. Three times. Wow. Now let's go back and just check the notes from Genesis. 19th chapter, Moses, uh, uh, Abraham says to Lot, their herdsmen were having a little bit of quarrels going on. They were offending each other. They were having some quarrels. And Abraham said, look, Lot, let's separate. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. But let's separate and go our separate ways. There's a lot of land out there. So Lot looked in the direction of, where did he go? Sodom. And he saw that the land was good there. And so he chose to go to Sodom. Nobody forced him to live in Sodom. He chose to go to Sodom. You and I right now, we, we, were, we didn't choose to live in our Sodom, America, but we're here. We're here. But he chose to sojourn in Sodom. Remember the story? The, the, the crowd of, of deviates came and gathered around him, homosexual crowd, uh, when the two angels visited. And he opened the door and he says, how about I give you my two virgin daughters? <laughs> now, it could be he did that because he was playing a game. Because he knew that the crowd of men didn't want the women. So he would offer them and they'd say, no, we don't want them. And they didn't. Or it could be because he had grown so accustomed to the customs of Sodom that that's what they did. And women were chattel back then especially. And so he was just doing what they did in Sodom. And then comes the third instance. I know this sounds ugly on a Sunday morning, but it's in Scripture. Third instance. You know the story. He fled then from Sodom. His wife turned to a pillar of salt. Uh, I believe there were actually, there's actually a reference to two sons-in-law, but they were betrothed but not married. His sons chose not to go, and they died. Sons-in-law chose not to go. They died in Sodom. So he had his daughters and, and family members and other family members, and they fled to Zor. He got scared when he was in Zor. He was, I don't know what he was afraid of. He was out of Sodom, but he got scared, and he went up and he says, we're going to go live in a cave for a while. So his two daughters went up there into the cave with him. And the two daughters said, you know, it's not good that we're not going to have any offspring because there are no men around. Okay, wait a minute. Stop right there. They just left Zor, a city. Do you mean there were no men in Zor? There were men in Zor. They could have said, you know what, Dad, we love you, but we're going down to party in Zor. But no, what did they do? They said, let's get our father drunk so that he can impregnate us. So they got him drunk. He impregnated the first daughter. And when you read the the account, 24 hours later, the next night, he did the same thing with the second daughter. (laughs) Now, I have never been drunk. That drunk. (sighs) But I tell you what, if I woke up one morning and realized what I did the night before to my daughter, I don't think I would do it a second night. You know, you're all looking at me thinking, where in the world is this going? I'm getting to a point. 
I'm getting to a point. So he chose to live in Sodom. He offered his virgin daughters to a crowd of of deviates. He impregnated his two daughters. I believe that there was probably way too much Sodom in Lot and not as much Lot in Sodom. He had grown accustomed to their customs. He enjoyed Sodom with all of its trappings. Half of his family was destroyed in Sodom. His wife couldn't keep her eyes off of Macy's. I mean Sodom. To me, that does not sound like a righteous man. But three times, the Holy Writ tells us he was righteous, righteous, righteous. So why? Why does the word say he was righteous? Well, I believe, remember, at this point in history, there was no revealed Jehovah. There was no, uh, there was no, uh, um, no law. There was no Moses. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no Torah. There was nothing. This was just a world without a revealed God. But yet, he, as a natural man, recognized that there was someone more than something around him. There was someone that created this thing, that there was a God, there was truth, there was righteousness, there was right and wrong, and he stood up for that as a righteous man. So the main point is this. It comes in verse uh, in one of the verses in chapter 19. They, when they surrounded his house, these men looked at, at, at uh, Lot and said, this one came to stay here, and in the Hebrew it says resident alien. Do you know what you are, my friends? You are resident aliens. This man came to stay here as a resident alien, but he keeps acting like a judge over us. Even Lot appeared to be a judge over wicked Sodom in spite of what he was doing. No matter how he tried to be like them, he, they still hated him. No matter what he did, they still hated him. No matter how he changed his life to accommodate them, they still hated him. You can welcome them, you can try to be like them, you can cater to them all you want, but you will still be an offense to those who want to be offended in the world. I hate to tell you. I know you want everybody to love you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be people that hate you just because you're a follower of Jesus. You can vote with them. You can believe with them. You can walk with them. You can sleep with them. You can drink with them. You can do whatever you want to do with them. But as soon as you name the name of Jesus, some of them will hate you. Most of them will hate you. So how much more offensive are we today? Unlike Lot, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have the pervasive grace of God flowing out of us. And the Apostle Paul is very clear. He says, to some, you will be the aroma of death. But to others, you'll be aroma of life. To the ones that are dying, they're going to smell death on you. And they're going to hate you. To the ones that are living and want the truth, they're going to smell the aroma of life on you. You know what that's like. My goodness, how many times you've walked into a room and you felt like you were, you were a, 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 an American soldier that just stepped into the jungles of Vietnam? You're thinking, what in the world did I do? You didn't do anything. It's the aroma of the Holy Spirit inside of you that did it. You stink. And no matter how hard you shower, you will not get the Holy Spirit smell off you. 
<laughs> and that has good things and it has bad ramifications as well. So the aroma of life just by walking into the room. I, I, don't, I don't think Lot preached to them necessarily. It says he sat at the gate. I don't, I don't think he woke up every morning and he, he called them brethren. When they surrounded his house, he said, men and brethren, men, you know, I know you. I've been in the marketplace with you. Come on now. I know you guys. What are you doing this for? No matter how hard you try, if they don't want to see Jesus, they don't want to see you either. So we must never be an offense to each other, but we will nearly always be a sentence of death offense to those that are in the world. And, and, and just to put that positive side on it too, isn't it wonderful when someone wants to hear about Jesus and you walk into that room? Oh my goodness, it's so wonderful. You could just tell every word you're saying, they're sucking it in. They're grabbing the life out of every thought that you're expressing because they want Jesus and that's who you are. So that leads us then to this last this last thought, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but in love, Paul says, and you can go back to Philippians if you need to, but in love, Paul says, we are bearing the fruits of righteousness. We're bearing fruits of righteousness. We're filled with fruit. We dealt with fruit a lot in uh, Ephesians uh, as we talked about that, but we're bearing the fruit of love. If you are abounding in love, if you are open to the, to the Holy Spirit, if you are sincere before him, if you're practicing in your walk to not be offensive, then fruit will grow. Fruit automatically grows. You don't have to try to make things grow. Yeah, my wife, uh, as you know, loves flowers and plants flowers, and she's, she's out all day long. She's, it's so funny. She'll be out in like 910-degree weather, and she'll come in, especially during the summer here when she's not at school, she'll come in and she's like pasted wet and she's like, oh, it's so hot out there. I'm just, that's it. I'm done today. I'm not going to do anything else today. And then about three hours later, there she is outside again, bending over, sweating and doing everything. But she plants flowers. Now, here's the thing. If the soil is good and if the soil is watered and if the sun shines on it, things grow, Right? You don't have to go out there and what's the story of that little boy that planted, uh, planted some, uh, some uh, corn in the ground and he was waiting for the corn to grow up into stalks and ears and every day he'd go out and dig it up to see if it was growing. <laughs> Couldn't see it. You don't have to do that, right? The seed is planted in the ground. It just grows. It's the course of nature. Folks, when the seed is planted inside of us, it's the course of the Holy Spirit that it will grow. If my fallow ground is broken up, if I am being watered by the word of the Holy Spirit, if I am being open to the sunlight of the Holy Spirit, fruit will come. I will love, I will give, I will share, I will bless. And remember when we talked about fruit before, we're not talking about you becoming a worldwide evangelist. We're not talking about you becoming a worship leader in a church. We're not talking about any of those things. We're talking about just being Jesus to people around you, to loving them, to praying with them, to giving to them in, in concrete ways, giving them some money if they need it, helping them with groceries if they need it, just loving them. 
And that fruit inside of us will grow. It will happen if we just allow Jesus to do it in us. It's not complicated. I've said it before. If, if you're a young couple and I marry you and, and you're young and healthy, uh, if I have to come on the honeymoon and explain to you what you have to do, there's, there's trouble. Ah, I know. I know. Go ahead. You can look at me and laugh. It's okay. I don't have to explain anything, do I? If I do, there's a problem. Same way with us. We have classes on evangelism. We have programs on how to evangelize and things like that. I've often wondered, why do, you, why do we have to tell each other what to do if the Holy Spirit's in us and we just do it? Just go tell somebody about you. you have somebody that's down and out, talk with them. Tell them about what Jesus did for you. Tell them how the Lord changed your life. That's it. And then, and then help them out. It's real simple. I like what John Calvin said about this. We are wild and useless olive trees till we are grafted into Christ, who, by his living root, makes us fruit-bearing branches. It's his living root that is inside of us. And if we are nurturing that root, if we are nurturing it through through abounding in love more and more, if we're nurturing that thing through sincerity and through openness and through through the kindling of the Holy Spirit inside of us, if we're laying bare ourselves every day to the sunlight of his word and of his spirit, then his fruit will blossom inside of us in ways that we could never expect. So that's what Paul is praying for us. He's praying for all of those things. And I'll tell you what, if you want to pray a prayer, I don't know if you've ever done this in your life, but just go to some of these prayers of Paul. If you're praying for unsaved loved ones, if you're praying for your husband, your wife, you're praying for your kids or whatever, just take those verses 9 through 11 and just repeat them and put your child's name in it, put your spouse's name in it, put your mom and dad's name in it, put your cousin's name in it, that love would abound more and more, that they would be sincere and without offense, and that fruit would grow inside of them. That's the goal for us as believers. Let's just bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much that we have that love that is abounding more and more. And just as you shared that word with us earlier, we don't, we're, we're tired of the distractions. We don't, we don't want the distractions anymore. Those distractions close up our heart. They close up our mind. They close up our ears. We can't see and hear your spirit. We want to set all those distractions aside. And we just want to lay bare our hearts to you. To say, Father, here we are. Here we are. Shape us. Mold us. Cleanse us. Take that hurt. Take that bitterness. Take that anxiety. Take that frustration. And the Father, as you do that, we'll go out into the world and... and The ones that are going to be offended were offended by you. And there's nothing we could do to change that. All we can do is do the same thing that you did. Show them your love. Lay down our lives for them. Be broke bread that is broken for them. And that, Father, your love will make the change. But to others, we look forward to being the aroma of life. We want to see life spring up in people around us. And your fruit will be the thing that will blossom in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. We thank you for that, and we're going to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Stand together. Can you imagine what a wonderful thing it would be? And, and I, think we're, I think we're doing okay. You never want to say that you're perfect, right? 
But it, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if people would look at folks at Emmanuel and say, wow, they're abounding in love, they're sincere, they're without offense, and I feel fruit when I'm there. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh man, that's got to be our goal. Along with the Philippians, that's got to be our goal. And how many know that God can do it if we just open our hearts and minds to him and keep open before him? Hallelujah. I'm glad we're serving Jesus this morning and he's in control. Praise his name. Turn around, bless somebody. Before you go, you're dismissed. Go forth praising him in Jesus' name.
Shout 